Good morning. Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And uh, what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, one of our ushers can get one to you. You can just slip up your hand here at the Buellton campus. Or if you are at the Lompoc campus, maybe you didn't realize that at 213 North J Street, uh, there's a group of people, a gathering of people at our Lompoc campus under the direction of Pastor Tyler. And that was his wife who just led uh, worship for us. Didn't she do a, a great job? And hey, thank you, Lompoc, for letting us borrow Becca this morning. And so we're so glad that you're gathered with us. We are one church in a couple locations. And one thing that uh, centers us and gathers us together, what we rally around, is not a pastor or a leader, but the Word of God that we believe is revealed to us through the Scriptures. Amen? And uh, here's the thing about reading the Bible, I pray that you read it every single day because every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Three of you think that? That's awesome. Uh, Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's better. Hey, turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians, and you can uh, find it uh, faster if you start in the right and turn left. You'll find this small epistle in the New Testament we call Ephesians. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 of Ephesians, starting in verse 14. We've been in this series for several weeks now, and uh, this is kind of our diet. If you're kind of new, relatively new with us, you're a guest with us, what we do is we go through books of the Bible and we allow uh, these scriptures to be the rudder for which uh, steers and drives the church. Amen? So uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians, uh, verse 14, you can say amen when you're there. It says this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What a statement. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask for your grace today. You would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit that would be strengthened in the knowledge of who you are. We ask for your grace that as we um, navigate this passage that's been left for us, that's been studied and debated over, and it's been used to encourage and correct and exhort and bring peace, starting with this church in the city of Ephesus more than 2,000 years ago. And there, there's a group of people who were depending on you, and now there's a group of people here today that are dependent on you. And we declare that as good news, that we are dependent on you. And that's joy, and that's peace. And we ask for your grace to let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let me give you a little bit of a uh, context, a recap for you of where we're at, and then we'll kind of break apart this particular passage. Uh, One of the things that happens in chapter 3 is Paul starts this line of reasoning. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Then then he kind of breaks thought. You ever have that moment where you start the thought and then you're like, well, you got to understand this before you understand this. And then of course you, I'm assuming that you know this and you're like, where are you going with all this? And you're like, that's every Sunday with you, Pastor Sam. And, uh, Say amen too loud, right? So he starts his line of reason. He says, for this reason, and we kind of talked about the complexity and, and kind of the shock and awe that this passage gives for us, that he starts by saying, I, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What's he saying? He's actually attributing his current situation, which Paul is on house arrest when he wrote this, and he writes it uh, from Rome, and he writes it to the city of Ephesus, and ultimately he will spend the remaining years of his life under arrest, and then ultimately he will go to his death as a martyr underneath the Roman empire. And here he writes, he says, listen, I am a prisoner, not of Rome, not of the emperor. I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What a statement. And, and how that rubs against kind of this uh, prosperity gospel, this American Christianity that sometimes seeps in that says that if you trust Jesus, everything will go well for you according to your plans, not to his plans. And then if you follow Jesus, he's more like a genie in a bottle. And if you ask him and you say all the right things and you do all the right stuff, he'll give you health, wealth, and prosperity. Can I just tell you that that is a lie. Because here's the reality. If your theology doesn't have room for the Lord Jesus, it is bad theology. Did everything always go well for Jesus? Did everyone always like him? You're in good company. Amen? And so uh, right here, this passage, when we just gloss over and we think it's a salutation, we think it's kind of a greeting, but what it does has deep theological implications that he is attributing his arrest and his house arrest under captivity. He's attributing it not to Rome, not to the emperor, but he's actually saying this is the will of Christ Jesus. He's saying that it is God's will that I'm under this arrest and I'm doing it for the sake of you. And we talked about suffering well for the sake of others. 
Man, it's a testament when we suffer well. I think we've lost a doctrine of suffering where we can actually face difficult things. Let me just tell you that if you're facing difficult things, God will use that pain and he'll use it for purpose. He'll take your pain and he'll use it for purpose. After I preach sermons like that, my, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Don Chan, who, who's on my elder board, always says, Pastor, I, I love that sermon. If you don't know who Don Chan is, find out who Don Chan is. And he has spent an entire, his entirety of his life with an ailment, with a difficulty. And, and oftentimes that growing up in the church, people would tell him, pastor would tell him like, like, unless you're healed of this particular ailment, God will not get glory. And what I believe through Don Chan's life has been, he suffered well for many, many years and suffering well with joy, with peace, with love is a great testament to the Lord Jesus. Amen? Three of you think that? This side of the room where Don's sitting at, uh, they're all about it. All right? Amen. Amen. Suffering well is a testament to the Lord Jesus. And, and he starts by saying, like, this is Christ, that there are things in my life that are not from the enemy and not even from my own doing, but God will put me into those things. The half-brother of Jesus, James, says it this way. He says, count it all joy when you face trials, when you face difficulty, because God is going to use it to shape you and turn something for your good. Oftentimes when you meet someone of faith, when you see someone who's been struggling with difficulty, but there's someone with joy, someone with hope, someone with faithfulness, when you see these virtues in an individual, oftentimes if you say, what made you that way? They won't tell you a good story, they'll tell you a difficult story, amen? God will use those things. And so Paul writes here, he says, listen, this is for your good. I'm assuming that you know why, that that you realize, and he begins to remind them of his story, that Paul, formerly known as Saul, which is the Hebrew form of his name, he started going by the Greek form of his name because God gave him a ministry to Gentiles. He gave him a ministry to people who were not like him. And he says, listen, this was a mystery that God was going to use one family in order to bless all the families of the world. This wasn't about me and mine. It wasn't about us four and no more. This was about blessing all of the families of the world. And God would use someone who was zealous about his tradition, someone who's zealous about his people and those who looked like him. And he would take that individual, Saul of Tarsus, on his way to murder Christians who he felt like were, were undercutting the Jewish faith. They were claiming that this Jesus was the promised Messiah. Zealous about his father's traditions, he was literally having Christians killed. And on a road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus meets the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ. And then he tells him this, he says, Saul, let me show you how much you will suffer for my name sake. That sends Paul on a trajectory. It's, it's much different. He has this radical encounter and this radical conversion that changes the trajectory of his life. Can I tell you that this is one of the most radical testimonies in 
all of human history. Listen, people don't have those types of radical conversions. <laughs> An object in motion has a tendency to stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. We are somewhat the same. We do the same thing over and over and over. How many of you got your routine in the morning? And if anyone messes with that routine, right? There, there's a way in which you do things. And oftentimes it's passed down. Why do you do what you do? Well, it's because mom and them did it, I right? Like I did it because they did it and this person did it. And sometimes we have our, our kind of flow and our rhythm, how much more a man who becomes the top and the pinnacle, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Pharisees were those, those, those staunch religious leaders who, who were kind of in charge of the religious world. And because Israel was operating under theocracy, meaning that their government and this belief in God were ultimately tied and now corrupt human individuals, not under a free society, not under a debate, but these Pharisees who decided decided what was right and what was wrong were putting to death anyone who disagreed with them. And he had climbed to the top of the ranks of Pharisee of Pharisee. This was his life. And now he meets the risen Christ and it changes the course of his life forever. He would go on to be one of the most prolific writers in human history, not just among the Stoics, not, or not just among the New Testament, but among the Stoics and, and among all of ancient antiquity. These books, 16 books of the Bible, Paul would go from murderer to martyr and apostle and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm assuming you know this story. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, assuming that you know the grace that was given to me in order to reach the Gentile world, that God would use me and turn my life upside down and the radical nature of this conversion, that he would use it in order to reach people that were far off from God, that no one expected God to choose. Can I just tell you that when you studied the Bible and you think about when the Bible begins to talk about God choosing people, God saving, sometimes we, we, we get anxiety and we go, man, what does that mean? God chooses? Is that unfair? Can I, can I just tell you that God chooses people that you would not? Can I just say that again? God chooses people that you never would. So when the Bible says God is love and the very definition of it, and that out of who he is, that's what he chooses. And he chooses people who are far off. He chooses people like Paul, a murderer of Christians. And he would take his story, his radical story, and he would turn it upside down. Can I, so I just tell you that when you think about people who are far from God, his hand is not short in his ability to reach. Amen? He saves the most wretched of sinners. Paul even writes that in chapter 3. He's going to say, listen, I am least of the saints. Because listen, among the saints, man, you can count me the least of. I know my story. I know where I'm at. And God's using me. I'm leading with a limp. And I'm suffering through, but I'm suffering for the sake of others. He says, for this reason, I'm a prisoner. So that Gentiles can be included into the family of God. So that the mystery that was hidden before all of creation, that God would use one to bless 
everyone. And the fulfillment of that one in order to bless everyone has come through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, listen, this is the reason why, and I don't want you to lose heart over what I'm suffering, but this is the reason why I bow my knees to the Father from whom every family is named. This is actually where he picks his thought back up. He says, for this reason, and I'm assuming you've heard the story, I'm assuming you know who I am and what I did and how God's mercy and grace have been given towards me in order to reach people who are far from God and bring them close and to make one family. This is why. Anytime you read this, look at verse 14. He picks it back up. You'll see that mirrored in verse 1 of chapter 3. For this reason. It's the same line in verse 1. He's he's reminding you this is the reason. This is the reason why I bow my knee from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, not according to what you have, but according to his riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened through the power of his spirit in your inner being. In your inner being. Many of you remember the great philosopher who would say, I think, therefore I am. There's this, there's this belief that there's an inner person, that, that there's some duality to you, right? Like, like how, many, how many of you um, talk to yourself? <laughs> you know it's okay to talk to yourself? You know it's even okay to answer yourself? As long as you don't say, huh? Like, like it's okay to talk, but, but, but like what we all know is there's this inner being to us. There, there, there is this, this kind of sense that I am. What are you? Well, I just, you know, I'm me and I'm not you and you're you and you're not me. And I, I, I believe that because I think that in my brain and I am, uh, A.W. Tozer writes this, that the reason why that we even have a sense of I am is because it comes from the great I am. Think about the story of the Bible where God first reveals his name to Moses, and he says, who shall I tell them sent me? And he says, I am. See, the reason why we even have a sense of self and self-being, that, that there's actualization, there's thoughts and minds, there's language and nuance, there's, there's communication between other beings, and there's a sense of self is because we are created in the image of God, God who is a mind, God who is an intelligence, God who is a being, being and a person. And C.S. Lewis would say that God is more than personal, beyond person. He's super personal. That beyond what you can even grasp is what we understand, that I am a person and you're a person and there's something between us that we have conversations and, and, and like some of you think like you're so caught up in I am, you think this is a movie about you and I'm your southern preacher in your movie and uh, right and, and, and yet what A.W. Tozer would say is that even this belief of self is grounded in the belief that there is a God. And then Ephesians is going to begin to elaborate on that. Who are you on the inner being? What does that 
like? And is everyone the same? Everyone is created in the image of God and bestowed with equal rights and value. But let's be honest, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And, and, and oftentimes, if we, if we were to print out all of our thoughts and, and put it in the press, and put some of you put out all your thoughts on Twitter and you should stop, <laughs> right? Let's just, let's just go with that, right? And, and so, sometimes, if you were to, to know my thought life, would you be proud of that? Every recess of the mind, every inner part of being, what is that like? And what do I do with that? And then the realization that there's evil in the world, and there are some people that have darkness in them. What is their inner being like? They may look like you and talk like you and act like you, but what they do on the inside matters. And, and even in our culture, there's all kinds of you know, talk and kind of coaching about your inner life and your inner being and your thought life. It, it was years ago I was interviewing, before I became lead pastor here, I was interviewing with a guy who, who had a campus um, in Southern California, and he was interviewing me for that campus pastor position, and so I, I was kind of looking up some things on him, and, and, I, and I realized from this video alone that I found on YouTube that we were not going to be able to work together. You ever had that moment, right? You're like, yeah, that's not it, right? And, and this video, I remember watching this video vividly, and this guy's an amazing communicator, and he's a good pastor, but I disagreed with this particular uh, statement that he made, and, and, and it was so well-produced. Have you ever noticed that, that quality of video lends itself to credibility? Right? Like, it'd be 4K and saying nothing, but people love it. Right? Like, but you're, you're like, if there's any static, you're like, you're watching this in 480p? I can't even hear this. Right? And yet, he had the studio set up. He had a white screen behind him, and he was all in black. And, and they had the depth on it. And he looked at the camera, and he said, you know, I preach around the country. I said, do tell. And he said, I, I preach around the country, and I find myself in these conferences, and I find myself in the back in the green room with, with, with some... Uh, some top-notch, world-changing leaders. And, and he said, I was in the green room, and, and, and there was this particular speaker, a nationally known speaker, who looked at me and he said, hey, I'm going to change his name to John. And uh, he said, hey, John, I'll probably mess up and tell you his real name, Chris, in a minute. And um, <laughs> He said, hey, hey John, uh, have you ever thought about why the lion is the king of the jungle? I mean, he's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. He's not the fastest. And he looked back at me and said, man, that, that, that's true. He's, he's not the biggest, and he's not the strongest, and he's not the fastest. So why is he the king of the of the he said, I, I don't know why. And this national world-changing speaker looked back at this pastor and he says, because he thinks he's the king of the jungle. And he said, what are you? And he looked right at the camera and he looked deep into my soul and I wanted him out of there. He looked into my soul and he, he said, what are you thinking about yourself today? Are you thinking like a lion? And I thought, that's great, unless you're a squirrel. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> like, what, what does it matter if you think like a lion, but you're not one? Have you ever, have you ever met a chihuahua? He thinks he's a Doberman, right? And like, like, like he's mad all the time. Like that little dog thinks he's a big dog and he's not. Right? And we have all of this stuff like going on in our churches and in our pop culture that thinks that in your mind you can think whatever you want and you can change who you are. The power of positive thinking. But see, the Bible doesn't endorse that idea. Here's the beauty of Ephesians 3 and what he begins to build from the end of Ephesians 2. Look at the end of Ephesians 2 and verse 22, it says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Then he says, You're a dwelling place for God being built up. And then in this passage, he's going to say that according, in verse 14 of chapter 3, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power, with power, through his spirit in your inner being. Here's what the Bible begins to describe. You know, there's, there's one lion that the Bible begins to describe. There's one lion, and it's not you. And that's good news. Amen? You're, you're a sheep. Right? Like, I know we got this ethos, like, we're lions, not sheep. But you, you, you are. Uh, you're, you're a sheep, and uh, you're not a lion. You might be a squirrel. Uh, and no matter what you think, you have to realize who you are. But here's the beauty of Ephesians Three, he begins to tell me that actually what God is building up in you is a place for the Lion of Judah, the King of Kings, and his spirit to actually dwell inside of you. He says that, that through the redemption that comes through Christ Jesus... Ephesians 2 is going to lay this out. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And it's by grace, unmerited, undeserved favor that you've been forgiven. And by grace, you have been saved through the doorway of your belief and your faith in him. He has made you righteous. And now you are able to be a dwelling place for the most holy God, what, what a controversial statement for Paul to make in a time with temples, in a time with rituals, in a time where you go to a sacred place, you dress a certain way, you act a certain way, you enter in with reverence and fear, and this is a holy place. The holy of holies is the place separate, yet at the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible says that the temple veil was rent, torn in two. There's no longer a separation between us and God. Charles Spurgeon would say this, the reason why that is so is because the only sin that Jesus ever had was yours placed upon him. And the only righteousness you will ever have is Christ's righteousness placed upon you. Theologians call this double imputation. 
that we impute to him our sinfulness and he imputes to us his righteousness. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. He took our bad and he exchanged it for his good. And this is the good news of the gospel so that then the tem- that you could be the temple of the Holy Spirit. You could actually be a dwelling place for the most high God. What a controversial statement when you know you. How many of you know you? This side of the room, thank you for the three of you faithful people over here. What's up with you people, right? Like, like you know you, right? You know, you, amen. You know every part of you, that inner being, that I am that you have, and you know you, and you go, how could, how could God live in such a place? How, how could God live in a place that, that is constantly do, saying one thing and doing another? How many of you feel like, like most of your life you've been trapped in a bad Britney Spears song? Oops, I did it again. Right? Can I, can I just be honest? Like, like we, we, we feel like, some of you are like, that was a good Britney Spears song, right? Like, calm down, all right? Uh, and, and yet, that's how we feel. And actually, Romans begins to lay this out for us. Romans 6 and 7 begins to describe for us our nature, that what we want to do is not usually what we do. He says that actually in our nature, in our innermost being, and this is true for all human beings, that there's something in us that we know what to do, that there's this intrinsic law. We know what we ought and we know what we ought not do. And yet it seems like I'm in this constant cycle of doing what I don't want to do, doing the thing I hate, the thing that will bring pain, the thing that will bring division. I find myself slipping into that. Paul says this, I find this law to be present as if it's like a law of nature. It's like gravity. It's like Newton's law. You can look all over the planet and people can have good motives. They can think the right things. You can do the power of positive thinking, but then they have no ability to actually continually go on this path. It's why uh, the creators of the 12-step program always point people in the first step to acknowledge a higher power beyond you because you have no power in and of yourself. So even though it, it starts with some type of Christian ethos, what they're saying, Paul dives in deeper that sin is ever present and sin is a master and sin has been the thing that causes me to drift off. Remember the great prophet, Dr. Seuss? Remember that guy? And in the Lorax, Dr. Seuss writes this, the Wansler, uh, the, the Lorax asks the, the Wansler, he says, which way does a tree fall? And, and, and the Wansler says, well, a tree falls down. And he says, no, 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 a tree falls the way it leans. So be careful which way you lean. See, the reality of sin is we have a bent towards it. We're already leaning that way by Nature and it finds itself early and often. How many of you have young kids? How many of you have taught your children to lie? How many of you know your children lie? Brother, some my my five year old like like he threw something, hit his sister in the face, and all hell broke loose. And I come in and go, "Hey, who did that?" 
right? And, and like, it's this, like, dads, you know, like, man, you're frustrated because, like, one of, like, what do you do when one of your kids hits your kids? And, like, what, ah, like, like, because it was like, man, you don't hurt my kid, but what if it's your other kid? <laughs> and, and so I walk in and I'm looking at my five year old, I'm like, hey, man, buddy, did you do that? And he's like, no. He's looking at my face and he's like, I don't think yes is the right answer in this moment. I'm like, did you, did you hit her buddy? And, and he's like, no. And I go, Hey, listen, you're not going to be in trouble. I love it. I, I want to help you. You do not have to lie to me. Tears well up his face. You do not have to lie to me. I love you, buddy. You do not have to lie to me. Did you do it? Yeah, I did. I knew that. <laughs> I mean, he was overwhelmed. The five-year-old spent the rest of the evening in his, be- in his bed at least a-, a good amount of time. I wish he'd stayed there all evening. And uh, <laughs> for a good length of time, he was there, and he's, he's just crying over this, this thing that's beginning to happen at a very young age, this thing that I know to do and the thing that pulls me away. And see, uh, Romans will tell us in, in chapter 7 that that's what we're all like. But it's like we can't get out of it. One of the best illustrations, it's like this. It's as if you would imagine you were, in a, you were in a Tesla, and I know some of you are imagining that and just say no, right? And, and you're, you're, in, you're in one of those self-driving cars, which was a mistake. And uh, you're, you're in one of these self-driving cars, and can you imagine if the thing just took over? And, that's, and some of you have those fears. That's why you don't have self-driving cars. And you imagine if you were stuck on autopilot and, and, you're, and you're going off a cliff and, and you just can't stop. Like it's there, it's trapped, it's, mal, it's malfunctioned. It's as if there's a software glitch. Something on the inside of the car, that's right. on the exterior, it looks the same. On the exterior, it looks like it should be doing what it's supposed to do. But on the inside, there's a glitch. On the inside, something has shifted. Something has messed up in the system, and it can't go anywhere but off into the abyss. Romans 7 describes this like this. He says, the thing that I want, that's not what I do, and I find this law, and it's a master, and and I want to go off, but it's not, and I'm stuck. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans begins to tell him that the human experience is that we find ourselves trapped in a body of death. Ephesians 2 opens says, you too were once dead in your trespasses and sin. This is how we all live, trapped, going off, going our own way, deciding, hey, it's a highway to hell, and I'm going my way. I don't care who it hurts. I don't care who it destroys. And yet, we're trying to plead. Have you ever met that person? That person who's trapped in addiction, that person who's trapped in sin, you're pleading with why do you keep doing this please stop just come out and yet it's as if they have no power to stop sin is like that and we quickly attribute to the worst kind of things addiction sexual promiscuity but what about gossip what about lying what about slander What about all the things that we just feel trapped? And I just got to say it. I know I shouldn't say it, but I just got to say it. That's good preaching, Pastor Sam. Thank you. Uh, Amen. No, you're too late. Don't clap. (laughs) Right? Like like, there's something in us. Man, I I, I, want to do what's right. 
But what's ever present is this law, this, this seemingly new software that constantly pushes me. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 8 goes on, praise be to God who has raised us up. It's as if that God has hit the eject button and we come out of this. It's as if this born again, resurrected life is you are no longer trapped in your sin. You are no longer a slave to the old you, but that the Holy Spirit of God on your inner being has strengthened you and raised you up to new life. Someone say amen that. Here's what Paul is saying in Ephesians. He's saying, my prayer for you is that when you realize there's this inner you and this conflict that's constantly going on, my prayer is that the Spirit of God who now dwells in you will give you the power and you'll be strengthened ultimately to know that you know that you know, knowing beyond knowledge. Knowing beyond knowledge. What is that? What do you mean by that, Paul? You ever just know something? And it's not, it's not really here. It's here. Do you know, that's not just a religious thing. Do you know if you ask the top Fortune 500 CEOs how they lead, and many of them will go, it's my gut. There's just something in them, intuition. There's something that they can't even explain it. I remember years ago, uh, my son, I was walking out and I was talking about prayer and how to seek the Lord and hear from God. And, and, and I was walking out of the door and it was kind of, kind of freaked me out a little bit. My son was laying on the side of the couch near the doors. I, he was maybe four at the time. He's nine now. And, and I went to go grab the door handle and he just kind of did one of those weird kind of like, wake up and look me in the eye thing and I like freaked out for a second and he like looked at me he's like dad I was like yeah he's like you know how you can't hear God when he talks but he makes you know I was like yeah buddy <laughs> he's like yeah and then he just went back to sleep <laughs> alright yeah I'm gonna go out to the church now and Pray the devil gets casted out of you. What was that? You know, like I was scared to death, right? Like, but there's something, and, and here's what the Bible says. The Bible even says that out of the mouths of children, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, your word will be established. Your word will be affected. You ever been around a kid and they just have this imagination and they say things, you're like, man, that kind of sounds right. Then you test that. You don't build your house on that. But then I read passages like this. My son said, God just makes you know. It's not often, it's very rare. It's a miraculous thing. If you meet someone who continually tells you that they've heard the voice of God, you should run away. The audible voice of God. But there'll be some people that you get around that'll be like, I feel like, I don't know why I feel this way, but there's something inside of me and I can't, I just got to share this with you. I'm just praying for you. All of a sudden, God will put things on your mind. You'll begin to think about someone. You remember, why am I thinking about this person? Maybe it's that knowledge that's beyond intellect. 
that's beyond your head and in your heart and out of nowhere. You just go, man, why am I thinking about this? Why do I know this? And now you put that to prayer and you put that to action. You begin to test that and see if it is God. And, and yet here's what he says. Here, here he says, above all of those kind of intuitions, beyond that feeling that kind of pushes you and pulls you, here's what he says. Here is the knowledge that we need to have. Here's what God is moving for us is that we would know him and we know the power and greatness of his love that surpasses knowledge. See, Ephesians begins to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Bible begins to describe to us one God who shows himself and reveals himself to us in three unique and distinctive persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be with you, and he'll live in you, and he'll guide you, and he'll convict the world of sin that they have rejected me. That Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will be put on display for all of the world, and Jesus will be the common thing that people divide over. It'll be that conviction. Jesus will be put to the forefront. You have to wrestle with, friend, that Jesus is the most famous person in human history. More songs have been sung, more books have been written, and yet he was a Galilean on the shore of his hometown who never traveled more than 150 miles from his town, and he's the most famous and most controversial figure in human history. And yet it seems in culture you can pick any religion, but pick Jesus, and that'll be a place of division. C.S. Lewis says it this way, here's why, is because you cannot put Jesus one among other good teachers. Why not? Because of the things he said. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's indeed the Lord. And there's only one response. It's either to consider him a liar and a lunatic and discard him or see him as the Lord and fall at his feet. That, my friends, is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in our world, convicting people, pointing people to Jesus, and leading them to a crossroads. Pun intended. And this will be the place that you find yourself. And here's what he says. I pray that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you on the inner being. That at those crossroads, at those points of intersection, that when the enemy and sin and that glitch in the human software that needs to be updated and resurrected, that when you find yourself swaying away, I pray that you would be strengthened, that you would know the love of God. Because see, friends, it's the love of God that leads men to repentance. Can I just tell you, it is the love of God that changes the world. Sacrificial love. Love that goes beyond. Love that pushes the boundaries. Love that unites people who look different. Who aren't the same. He loves people that you never 
would without his help. He says, I pray that you be strengthened, you would be grounded and rooted in love, that this would be your ethos, this would be your foundation. Not morality that causes you to draw lines and listen, son, you need to act this way and you need to dress this way, you need to do this, 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 and this, this. Not that you be grounded and rooted in this type of policy and procedure and politics, but that your life would be grounded and rooted in the love of Jesus Christ, who saves sinners like Paul, like me, like you. And this would be your foundation. And he says, this will be what actually anchors the church together. This is what the world will see as the church, a place of love. It will be the place that draws all in. That it's the most inclusive thing on the planet. Come whosoever will, come to the most exclusive thing on the planet. The foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. There is one way And he made a way where there seemed to be no way. And he's the only way. And yet he calls everyone to come to him. This is the invitation. This is your marker. I pray that you would be grounded and rooted. That you may know the height and the depth and the breadth. Just how many people he'll save. And then he goes on and he says this. that he will do exceedingly, abundantly, far more than we ask or think. Do you know how many people have hijacked that verse for that prosperity thing? Oh, just believe him. God will do exceedingly, abundantly, far more than, what are you believing for right now? What do you want? Name it and claim it. That's not what he's talking about. And the context here is that God is able to save people that you thought weren't able to be saved. He can reach people that you thought were too far gone. You thought they'll never, they're they're way too, man, they're they're just way opposed to this. There's no, can I just tell you that his love is greater and bigger and he's able to save and seek and find and go after hard long, more so than you could ever begin to imagine abundantly far more. Because this is the power of the church. That he's working in us the things that need to get out of us so that his love would be put on display in the innermost parts of our being. That when you think you're not able to love, when you think you're not able to give a kind answer, when you think, man, they've gone too far, they've crossed me too much, man, I tell you, payback. That's how we live. That's the software. That's the way we want to go. But no, 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 no. God's able to strengthen you in such a way that you'll surprise you. Isn't it great when you find times in your life, Jesus takes over and you find yourself in situations where you didn't act like you and that was a good thing? (laughs) 
I pray that this would be the power of the church. That a bunch of people who stopped acting like themselves started acting like him. And they would really realize that that's when they truly find themselves. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that it's by your Spirit that you've enabled us. You've shaped us. You've molded us. And above all else, you sought us out and you've saved us. I thank you for people in this room who right now, as I begin to preach this passage, begin to think about loved ones and neighbors and friends and coworkers that they thought, oh man, they'll never come to Christ. But your arm is not short and you're able to do exceedingly abundantly. Let us stop praying with that passage for ourselves, but let us begin to believe that passage for others. Help us believe that you're able to actually do what you did for Saul of Tarsus. And you changed him. God, amongst us, in our culture, put on display the glorious nature of your grace. We thank you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. Jesus, help us to be more like you for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?